Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer podcast with your host, me, Dr. Amy Horneman, aka the Thyroid Fixer, functional medicine practitioner, hormone and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone and health related in order to empower, educate and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, let's get started. Insulin resistance, prediabetes, diabetes, or maybe you don't even know if you have insulin resistance or diabetes yet. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to break that down, go over the numbers, go over what you can do about it. Talk a little bit about leptin as well, because we don't talk enough about leptin. And I know that's a big question on your mind, leptin resistance as it relates to insulin resistance. So we're going to talk about leptin. We're going to talk about insulin. We're going to tie that to thyroid because if you have hypothyroidism, if you have Hashimoto's, 95 to really 99% of you have insulin resistance as well. So we're going to dive into that today. Grab your labs, grab a notepad, take some notes because you want to do something about this. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. Okay. Insulin resistance. Let's start off. When a cell is resistant to insulin. So what does this even mean, right? Let's break it, break it all the way down. Let's simplify so you can understand it. Insulin is a hormone. It is not a hormone that we want to get rid of. We need it for life. So those of you who are a type 1 diabetic, or if you know someone that is type 1 diabetic, you know that they most likely have an insulin pump attached to them. Constantly reading, they have a continuous glucose monitor, constantly reading their blood sugar and adjusting the amount of insulin that their body needs in response to the food that they eat. So insulin is absolutely needed for life. However, in the case of insulin resistance or diabetes, we don't want it in excess. I always say, think of insulin as the Jekyll and Hyde hormone needed for life on one hand, but in excess, it is the fat storage hormone. So anything that you eat when you are insulin resistant, I don't care if it's chicken and broccoli, your body will grab that food and store it as fat because of the excess insulin in your body. All right, so this, this is very simplistic. So if, if you're a nurse practitioner or a PA, if you're in the medical field whatsoever, please don't roll your eyes. I am breaking this down to simplistic terms for the audience to understand. So your pancreas secretes insulin in response to the food that you eat. And in a perfectly functioning body, 
let's say, and I'm making up these units as well. Let's say a healthy Susie Q has chicken and broccoli and her pancreas, her body goes, you know, we don't need that much insulin for this. This is mostly protein. It's a little bit of veg. Maybe she has some butter on the chicken, cooked it in olive oil. So you got that good fat, which fat does not produce an insulin response whatsoever. Actually helps to dampen that insulin response. So you got the good fat in there. Maybe the pancreas secretes two units of insulin. And then we have Bobby Sue over here with insulin resistance. By the way, she also has hypothyroidism. With insulin resistance... And she eats that same chicken broccoli with a little bit of butter and her pancreas secretes 10 units of insulin. So first of all, we have an over secretion of insulin from the pancreas. Now, this is something that we are not 100% sure of. We know that it happens in diabetics, especially those diabetics that are progressing and they're starting to move into being an insulin dependent diabetic, basically meaning that their pancreas is shit the bed. Pancreas says enough is enough. You've been pounding us for years. We're tired of pumping out all this insulin. Not going to do it anymore. So that is an insulin-dependent diabetic where they have to take insulin because their pancreas just stopped making it. We are backing it up a little bit into that insulin-resistant, pre-diabetic. Maybe you've dipped your toe into diabetes during that beginning stages and I'm not going to say where it can be reversed because any stage can be reversed. I reversed diabetes in a patient that was insulin dependent diabetic. Any stage can be reversed. But we're talking about the beginning stage where your pancreas might pump out a little bit too much insulin, but we're actually not 100% sure that it does that. We believe that it does. But then there's the insulin resistant part. So then that insulin goes out. And what it wants to do is to lower your glucose. So your glucose rises in response to the food. We know by using a continuous glucose monitor, which we will talk about a little bit more today, by using something called a CGM, you can see what effect every single food has on your blood sugar. So one of my patients spiked to a 180 with stevia. Here you're doing something that you think is good and you heard in all the keto and low carb circles and you can use this as a sweetener. Well, to that individual it spiked her glucose way too high, abnormally way too high. So that's the benefit of a CGM. So we want the insulin to go out and lower our glucose. So we're not walking around with super high glucose levels, not healthy. But if your cells, so picture all your little round cells with little doors on them. If those doors are closed, then you are insulin resistant. Your cells have just become like, ugh. No, I can't take any more insulin. Don't put it in. No, I can't do it. And it closes its door. So now you have that insulin resistance. We see insulin resistance with PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. We see it when you eat like garbage, high carb, high processed foods, high sugar, where you can actually create your own insulin resistance through a sad American diet, standard American diet. And then we also see it when the thyroid is dysregulated, because the thyroid's a master gland and it's controlling the signaling of insulin. So when the thyroid isn't functioning well, your insulin signaling is off and you will see insulin resistance, which is why I say you see it 95 to 99% of hypothyroid Hashimoto patients, you see that insulin resistance because the thyroid is off. So the signaling 
there's that miscommunication and the pancreas can either A, be pumping out too much insulin and we will see high insulin numbers. We're going to go over those. Or the cells are just resistant to insulin, which we will also see high insulin numbers because that insulin can't get to where it needs to get to to do its job. Huh. Okay. So that's where we see insulin resistance. Now, how about the numbers? That's, that's the basic biology, right? That's your basic understanding of it. Now, once we get into the numbers, what do we look at to test? So I always say to look at your glucose, but glucose can lie. Don't hang your hat on glucose. Yes, ultimately we want it below a 90. But remember there is that cortisol weakening response that happens in the morning where your cortisol goes up in the morning. Maybe you took some thyroid medication. If you're at all on the optimization path, you're going to be taking something that other than T4 because T4 only doesn't work. So you wake up and you take your thyroid medication, maybe armor, maybe it's T4 and T3. And that T3 comes in and it bumps up your cortisol, which is ultimately what we want it to do, but not too high. So we get that cortisol awakening response. Cortisol should be high in the morning anyways to wake us up. And that is going to increase our blood glucose. So you're going to get that glucose number sometimes a little bit high if you test it first thing in the morning. But remember that glucose can lie. If you had a carbohydrate meal the night before, if you didn't sleep well, if you have that cortisol awakening response, if you took T3 in the morning and then you kind of like got too high of a cortisol bump or too high of a glucose bump, then you can see that glucose elevated above a 90. No need to freak out, go one step further. Then we look at A1C. Hemoglobin A1C is a three-month snapshot of your glucose, whether it's on a roller coaster or it's a nice smooth wave-like pattern, which we prefer the latter, we can see that in your hemoglobin A1C number. That doesn't lie. That is the number that we look at to say, have you been controlling your glucose and your blood sugar numbers, or your glucose slash blood sugar numbers for these last three months? Well, if you're at a 5.3 or above, then you are either insulin resistant, definitely insulin resistant, full-blown diabetic. So I like A1C between a 4.8 and a 5.2. Now you can roll in at a 5.3 and then you're, you're kind of on that borderline. And that's when we go to that next step and look at insulin. But I'm going to tell you, if you're 5.5, 5.6 or above, you are there, my friend. You are in insulin resistance. You are type 2 diabetic borderline type 2 diabetic, or you're full-blown type 2 diabetic. So that's the A1C. But we can't rely on that either. Because if you listen to my podcast where I actually did a case study of one of my former patients, very, very young, had a reverse T3 through the roof. Now, I'm not going to remember the numbers exactly because this was a while ago. I remember the insulin. I think I remember the insulin. Bear with me. I want to say her reverse C3 was a 35. If you guys have been listening to me for a while, you know that reverse C3 should be below a 12. Reverse C3 was a 35. She was on T3 only. Okay. Are you following me? What converts the reverse T3 T4? Here we have someone on T3 only. No T4 in the mix except the, her own that her thyroid is producing. Reverse T3 through the roof. Her body was in survival mode. Why? Her A1C was not, I mean, you would think like, oh, well. This, this girl's going to have an A1C 
of a six, right? She's going to be full-blown diabetic. I want to say her A1C was deceiving. It was maybe a 5.4, 5.5, but her insulin was a 35. We want insulin below a six. So fasting insulin is that, that core marker. That is really how we know whether or not you're insulin resistant. Look at that fasting insulin. Ask for a fasting insulin on your labs. Ask your doctor for this or order it yourself so you can know what your insulin number is. It should be below a six. The reverse C3 was a 35. Her insulin was like a 57. It was insane. It was just insane. It was the highest insulin number I ever saw. So what do we have to do in that case? Well, number one, we know, and this is my point in telling you that, is don't hang your hat on the A1C either. Look at that insulin. What we know we have to do when you are insulin resistant is lower your carbohydrate intake. That's part one. Number one, you want to drop those carbs below a 50. So I was just at KetoCon. That's why I felt this talk was very relevant because we are still getting a lot of questions about insulin and what to test and what the numbers should be and what should we do. So I gave a talk at KetoCon. We have it posted on YouTube and it was Heal Your Hashimoto's with Keto. And I went through... I'll give you a very brief version and then you can watch it. I went through the tie-in as well as the studies on the ketogenic diet and how it ties back to the thyroid. So what do we know about keto? What we know about the ketogenic or the low-carb diet, whatever you want to say, whatever doesn't freak you out. When I say keto, a lot of you look at me like a deer in headlights, like, how am I going to do that? Then just call it low-carb eating. Call it taking out the shit out of your diet. I don't care what you call it to make yourself feel better. You got to lower your carbs because what do we know? We know that carbohydrates increase insulin the most. So we have proteins, carbs, and fats. Let's break this down. Protein, carbs, fats. Carbohydrates will increase insulin the most. You'll get that the biggest blood glucose rise, the biggest insulin spike from carbohydrates. And then we can break it down and say complex and simple, but let's just put it in the carbohydrate category. Proteins have a very moderate effect on insulin. They will in excess, like if you were to sit down and eat a 20 ounce steak, you might get a little bit of an increase in insulin. They have a modest effect, but modest to none. And then fats have zero effect on insulin. So proteins, carbs, fats. So we know if you're insulin resistant, that you have to lower your carbohydrates. So let's call it the ketogenic diet. The ketogenic diet raises your testosterone level. We have multiple studies on this and I show them, actually show the studies and the references in my talk for KetoCon. Again, you can go back on YouTube and watch that. But there are multiple studies that show a positive effect of the ketogenic diet on testosterone levels, mainly in men. But Thomas DeLauer, he is a very famous keto coach. He actually was quoted commenting on this one particular study that showed a 118 nanogram per deciliter rise in testosterone in men when doing the ketogenic diet. That's huge. That's over 100 points of an increase in their total testosterone levels through a natural route, just through changing their diet. Because the ketogenic diet focuses on good fats. We want to eliminate the PUFAs. I'm going to come back to the PUFAs and tell you what those do to your body in a few minutes. Hold on. So we got to go through this. 
the ketogenic diet raises your good cholesterol, raises your HDL. It also raises your total cholesterol. That is another podcast for another day, a specialized training. If I go down that rabbit hole of, but my doctor said that my cholesterol was high and what's put me on statins, I will go down that hole and probably not come out. Let's not do that. Let's just suffice it to say, you probably don't need a statin. It's a Band-Aid medication. Short of having a heart attack, you should not be on a statin. Statins do nothing for your HDL. They only lower LDL. And most studies have found that higher LDL actually lowers all-cause mortality, meaning you're not going to die. You're probably going to have less of a chance of dying of the big bad things that kill us with a higher LDL. So don't listen to your doctor and try to lower your LDL because that's going to make you die faster. Summarizing. Okay. So the ketogenic diet raises cholesterol. Good cholesterol is, that's the building block of testosterone. So that's why we see that connection of testosterone rising with the ketogenic diet. What do we know about testosterone? It is very protective against Hashimoto's. So if the reason why women are more prone to Hashimoto's is that we're walking around with low testosterone levels. Now, listen, we have lower in general anyways, because of our gender. Men are meant to have higher testosterone levels, but we are not meant to have testosterone in the toilet levels. We should still have optimal testosterone levels. When we have optimal testosterone levels, it actually prevents that Hashimoto switch from turning on. It prevents autoimmune from happening. So if it's too late and you're like, I already have Hashimoto's, then let's prevent further destruction by keeping your testosterone levels optimal. We can do that through the ketogenic diet and focusing on healthy fats. You can use my hormone fixer supplement. There are multiple things. We can use testosterone replacement therapy depending on your number. So let's get your testosterone up. Ketogenic diet increases testosterone. Testosterone is protective against that autoimmune switch turning on or further destruction of your thyroid from Hashimoto's. So we have that connection. We also know, backing up, the ketogenic diet lowers insulin. Testosterone gives, it's our get shit done hormone. It gives us motivation. It gives us more strength. It gives us more stamina. We actually want to go to the gym and get in a workout with higher levels of testosterone. If you have low levels of testosterone, male or female, you're going to be like, oh, do I have to go to the gym today? Wait, didn't I go, wait, didn't I go like three days ago? Yeah, I don't want to go today. Whereas if you have optimal levels of testosterone, you're going to be like, mm, yeah, let's go get it. And I'm not talking like roid rage. I'm just talking about motivation. So having that motivation, you get to the gym, you exercise, you go out to your garage, you exercise. Exercise lowers insulin. Something is simple. And yes, I do want you to be lifting heavy shit. I want you to go and lift heavy weights and build that sexy lean muscle and use your increased testosterone to be more metabolic, to have that sexy lean muscle, to have a better metabolism. But one study showed that just taking a walk after dinner or after a large meal lowered insulin. And we see this in patients that use a continuous glucose monitor, a CGM. We see this because they can actually look at their glucose go down as they're taking a walk. Something as simple as that. Now, I'm not saying walking is going to be the only thing that's cutting it. Donna's walking on the beach right now. And she's lowering her insulin right now. But she still has to throw in some heavy weight training, some high-intensity interval training, throw in some push-ups, even on your knees, use your body weight. So we still want to build muscle. 
even just for longevity and aging and protection of our bones. We want to build that sexy lean muscle. But something as simple as going for a walk will lower your insulin. Okay, now let's back this up and pull it all together. Keto increases testosterone. Testosterone is our get shit done hormone, makes us want to go to the gym, working out or walking, lifting heavy weights, lowers insulin. Keto lowers insulin. What do we know about high insulin? What did I say earlier about the case study? High insulin increases reverse T3. So if we really want to improve our thyroid function, if we want to increase our metabolism, we have to lower our insulin. Period. End of story. And in addition to that, listen, insulin is one of the fastest ways to age. Alzheimer's is type 3 diabetes correlated with elevated insulin levels. Cancer cells. And I have a stat somewhere. I do. I have it somewhere. The cancer cells have, here it is, 30% more insulin receptor sites on them. Cancer feeds on glucose. Cancer feeds on insulin. Cancer cells love to be fed. And if we feed them, they will grow and metastasize. So what can we do to possibly or at least increases, increase our prevention chances of cancer? Lower your insulin. Lower your insulin. Keeping that insulin in check below a six will improve your thyroid function will help you lower inflammation because insulin is very inflammatory. We'll talk about that in a second. I'll tie that back to PUFAs. And it also starts degrading our brain. So that inflammation that we see with Alzheimer's and dementia and Parkinson's, all of those neurological diseases of aging are caused by inflammation, i.e. high insulin levels. Now, we have to remember that our fat on our body the white fat, not the brown fat, the white fat on our body releases inflammatory cytokines. So you have to think of fat as almost like part of your endocrine system. It's an endocrine gland. Because remember, it also secretes leptin and ghrelin. So we talk, you hear a lot about leptin resistance. We talk about insulin resistance as it ties to leptin, leptin resistance, so leptin, when it is too high, and leptin levels we like below a 10. And, you know, you're going to look at that little, that little chart, the little standard lab value range, just like we talk about with the thyroid, and it's going to give you your BMI. And if you're, if you're this weight or you're this BMI, your leptin should be here. No, it should be below a 10. If it's above a 10 you're leptin resistant. Now you may or may not feel, leptin is our satiety hormone, satiety hormone. It tells us that we're full. It gives you that signal to stop eating. So when leptin is above a 10, you may or may not feel a little bit more hungry. You might feel like, man, no matter what I do, I just, I can't get full. What's going on here? So too high equals leptin resistance. So literally the signal to your brain is lost. So your brain tells you to keep eating. Now, what about if you have super, super, super low leptin? A couple of you do. If you're my patient, you know who you are. You are either starving yourself. And I don't mean starving, starving. I mean not eating enough calories. 
So any of you who have done the HCG diet, where you eat 500 calories a day, your leptin most likely dropped. Too low of leptin, you'll store more calories before you get that signal to your brain that tells you that you're full. So you don't want too low. You don't want it like a one and you don't want it too high above a 10. Really between a five and a 10 is nice. Now, a lot of you might have a leptin number of a three or a four and you're not starving and you're not gaining and that is fine. We can keep your leptin right there. But really between a five and a 10 is optimal. Adequate amounts of leptin will actually activate T4 to T3 conversion to increase your metabolism. So we want that leptin in the right amounts at the right number, no matter what your BMI is. We want insulin below a six, leptin between a five and a 10. These are all metabolic things that we're talking about. Yes, we're tying in into testosterone, which absolutely helps increase your basal metabolic rate, helps increase your metabolism because you are more metabolically active because you have that sexy lean muscle that makes you more metabolically active. Yes, we're talking about we're tying in thyroid. Of course, your thyroid has to be optimized or you have no metabolism at all. But if you're insulin resistant too and leptin resistant, you got you, you to gotta battle that. You, you have to address it. You have to address those two things or you will not lose weight. You will not lose weight. Leptin, when high, triggers inflammatory mechanisms. So when we have too much leptin, and we don't talk a lot about the diiodinase enzymes on here, the enzymes that we can actually test genetically, DIO1 and DIO2 are tested to see if you're a converter. If you have a SNP, if you have a malfunctioning gene, in the DIO1, DIO2 category, you're probably in need of T3 only. Now, some of you have had that tested. Many of you haven't. I've heard that you can do 23andMe and then put it in Genetic Genie and, and, and get the DIO1, DIO2 answers. I do know that in the UK, it is very well tested and easier to get than it is here in the United States. But leptin will trigger inflammatory mechanisms and too much will cause an upregulation of DIO3, which deactivates conversion. Then your metabolism decreases. You keep putting calories in. They can't be burned, so everything gets stored. Leptin will actually trigger the cell danger response. So you know when we talk about you might have a really nice T3 level on your labs. Let's just say, let's use a number, right? Let's say that you are at the very top of the range. I like you being in the upper quadrant of the range. Most of the time I say 3.5 or above, but upper quadrant of the range, depending on what lab you're using. Let's say you are at the top level of that range and your reverse T3 is below a 12. That's where we like it. And you're still like, I don't know what's going on. I'm not feeling better. I'm not losing weight. Uh, I'm all inflamed. My energy's in the toilet. So it might actually be a leptin or insulin problem because too much leptin will trigger that cell danger response, which downregulates T3 at the cell level. You need T3 to activate leptin receptors, and it, it becomes this major cyclical problem. So we need T3. We have the T3 on the labs. We have your free T3, really nice and pretty 
but your leptin resistant and leptin is, is triggering this, this cell danger response at the cell and the cell's angry. And that cell receptor site, the, the receptor site on the cell for T3, it's all jumbled up and it's not letting the T3 in. And we got all this nice free T3 floating around in your bloodstream, but it's not getting to the cell because you are leptin resistant in addition to being insulin resistant. So elevated leptin drives inflammation, increases DIO3, decreases conversion, decreases cellular T3, the T3 actually getting to the cell receptor site, decreases cellular T3. Now we don't have enough T3 at the cell. The cell needs T3 to make leptin receptors and then we don't have it. The cell, the T3 isn't there. The cell is angry. You become leptin, leptin resistant, leptin, leptin, iced tea resistant, leptin resistant and insulin resistant at the same time. So the inflammation will drive down TSH levels too. Remember that your TSH will look normal. It will even look optimal. That inflammation will drive down TSH sometimes even below it too. And then we keep giving you more T3, more T3, try to get that T3 to the receptor site on the cell and you're not feeling better. And the T3 levels going up in your labs and the TSH is going down. You're like, what the hell? So then we have to come back to leptin and insulin. So the question is, did the weight come first? Did the thyroid get screwed up first? Did you, did you, did you eat your way into insulin resistance and now you have an effed up thyroid? Was your thyroid screwed up? Most likely this scenario. Was your thyroid screwed up and misdiagnosed for years, if not decades? And you were misdiagnosed six times like I was. And then you develop that insulin and leptin signaling problem. It's most likely that. It's most likely that. And also remember, men, as we're talking about this insulin being inflammatory, excess leptin being inflammatory, it's inflaming you at the cell level. Also remember, inflammation causes testosterone to go down and estrogen to go up. In men, in women, it causes estrogen to go up into an estrogen dominant state, which then drives fat storage. But that can also, that estrogen dominance can also push your testosterone down, ladies. Leptin resistance is a huge issue when it ties back to thyroid function. And this is why I always say both and both and all the time, because when we treat you, we have to do both. There is no practitioner in the world. And if you're with one of them, you got to run. There is no good practitioner in the world that would just throw thyroid medication at you. Unless of course it's an endocrinologist or a conventional doctor and then go, okay, have a good day. Bye-bye now and not address your insulin resistance, not address your diet, not look at your supplements, not look at your testosterone. And especially if you're coming in saying, well, I can't lose weight no matter what. This weight just keeps piling on. I mean, 10 pounds in two months. There is no good practitioner in the world that would just do one thing. And I, we can reverse that. You shouldn't just be focused on insulin either. You have to address an optimized thyroid or else the thyroid's going to be off and your insulin signaling is going to be all kinds of off no matter what you do, no matter how you eat. 
How many of you have we started working together? How many of you have come to me and you're doing keto diet? You're doing carnivore. You are on point with your low carb eating. You're controlling your insulin, but your thyroid is still a mess. So you can see you cannot do one without the other. We have to do both and. So with insulin resistance and leptin resistance, we treat it very very similarly. Yes, we want to optimize the thyroid in both cases. Number one, number one, number one, optimize the thyroid. Both cases, leptin resistance, insulin resistance. Then we go down from that, bring in what we talked about earlier, low carb eating. Now, does everybody have to do low carb? Does everybody have to do keto? No. And because I talk about it a lot and because I am and have been for many, many, many years because I have PCOS, Part of PCOS is insulin resistance. So I'm not going to mess around. I'm sorry, even if my insulin came back right now at a four, I'm not going to be throwing in carbs into my diet. I know my body and I know what it runs best on. And that is low carb. And there's a ton of benefits. Again, that would be go back and listen to my interview with Ben Azadi. Go back and listen to my interview with Dr. Lisa O. We dive into keto eating. It's amazing. Cynthia Thurlow talks about intermittent fasting. So go back and listen to all of those podcasts. If you want to go down that rabbit hole of what are the other benefits of doing keto, you know, your brain, your performance, athleticism, everything. But when we're talking about the thyroid, we know since insulin resistance, 95 to 99% of the time comes as a nice little package for you when you have hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's. We know that that's most likely the way that you need to be eating. Some of you can get away with some higher carbs and I'm not talking about pizza. I mean, maybe you can do a sweet potato. Maybe you can do some more dark chocolate. Maybe you can bring your carbs up to 75 or hundred, but most of you should be staying under 50 total grams of carbs per day. That's what I talk about in my keto for the week course. You go low carb through the week. You come up out of it on the weekend to keep that T3 production going, because we don't want to go low carb for too long. That's where the naysayers get their fodder for saying that keto was bad for the thyroid. So we want to come up out of it on the weekend with good carbohydrate sources and then go right back into it. And you will find that you become, and here's this term that you hear all the time, metabolically flexible, fat adapted, you become a fat burner, not a sugar burner. You've heard those terms ad nauseum, right? So what happens, and there's truth in this, there's truth in these terms. Your body starts learning how to burn your own stored body fat for fuel. And it's not about dumping all the fat that you possibly can into your mouth. Although I have taken bites of Kerrygold butter because it's awesome and it's creamy and salty and sweet all at the same time. But it's not about putting as much fat as you possibly can into your mouth. It is about putting the right amount of fat in, the good kind of fat. And here's where we're going to bring in the PUFAs. We want to focus on actually saturated fat is very, very good for you because it is stable. PUFAs go poof. Those are your polyunsaturated fatty acids. So PUFAs go poof. And when we're talking about PUFAs, if you ask, if you ask Benazadi, other functional practitioners, 
in this space talking about insulin resistance and you give them the choice, do you want these bad seed oils? Do you want the corn and the canola and the safflower and the sunflower oils? Or would you like this block of sugar? They're going to take the sugar because the PUFAs increase your insulin and increase inflammation in the body 10 times worse than sugar. Now that doesn't mean they go out and eat sugar instead. Well, I'm just going to take out the corn oil from my diet and then I can eat all the sugar that I want to. No, we want to take out both, but that is to give you an example of how bad they are. Bad fats, actually, when you, when you talk about toxins and how they cause this cellular problem and toxins by PUFAs, toxic fats, PUFAs, seed oils. When we talk about these toxic fats and we talk about the cell being inflamed where we can't even burn our own fat for energy, we have to remember that these bad fats actually cause the cell membrane to have problems. Remember kind of going back to talking about leptin and the cell, cell danger response, being angry, the T3 can't connect to the cell to do its job, to give you metabolism, to give you energy. So now we have these bad fats that are causing cell membrane to have problems. That's going to decrease T3 from getting to the cell to do its job. That's where the hormone receptors are. And that causes problems at the mitochondrial level. Polyunsaturated fats, they are unstable. They have a tendency to react with oxygen and then they turn. And when they do that, they turn to a toxic compound. They increase your cytokines, which are inflammatory messengers, inflammatory hormones. They increase inflammation at the mitochondrial level. And then they get even less stable when they get into your body because now they're interacting with all kinds of other chemicals in your body, all the other things that you're eating and the pesticides and the plastic and your hormones and the supplements that you're taking and everything. Now they're interacting with those other chemicals in your body and it's just a fire. It's just a big old fire in your body. Not to mention they, those PUFAs literally cause insulin resistance in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. More so than sugar. So yes, we want to drop our processed food, drop our carbohydrates, drop our sugars. Get those below a 50. Now let's work on, or and, let's work on getting the PUFAs out. Polyunsaturated fatty acids. There's a laundry list, so I suggest you look them up. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be disappointed when you start turning over labels. You're going to be like, oh, those are chips. Damn it. There's canola oil. Some of my favorite sweet potato chips on so my high-carb days. You, know, you guys know I love Oreos, but I'm not, I'm not doing the gluten-free Oreos. I'm doing sweet potatoes, sweet potato chips. And I have the organic kind. I've turned over the bag and I saw canola oil, safflower oil. So now I've switched over to getting the ones in coconut oil. Coconut, avocado, great oils. I'm sure I'm missing some. I know there's a laundry list, but you want polyunsaturated fatty acids out of your life. The fat that is in grass-fed meat, the omega-3s that are in wild-caught salmon, that olive oil that you're using to cook with, ghee, Kerrygold butter, lard, beef tallow, all good fats, avocado oil, coconut oil, great fats. Focus on those fats and products that contain those fats and you'll be fine. 
And now we shift over to the curves and the sugar and drop those down below 50. At KetoCon, Vinny Tortorich was talking. Great guy. I've actually, I've heard him a couple of times, but I never really heard him on stage. And this guy's so laid back. And he goes, you know, you're all making this more complicated than it has to be. No grains, no sugar. No grains, no sugar. Just do that. Don't overcomplicate it for yourselves. No grains, no sugar will lower your insulin, will improve your leptin, will decrease inflammation, will improve thyroid function, will increase T4 to T3 conversion. And then I would add on, take out the poofas too. He didn't add in the bad fats, but he's just trying to keep it simple. You don't need all of these other things coming in to take the place of no grains, no sugar, no poofas. Now let's take it one step further. Talk about berberine. I can't do an insulin resistance podcast without talking about berberine. So if you've heard me talk about it before, you're going to hear me talk about it again. Because if you go into PubMed, and I was going to pull this up before I came on here, but listen, just shits and giggles. Go into PubMed, go into Google Scholar, type in berberine and any condition that you want to follow that. Same with keto, actually. You can type keto and pretty much any disease state, and you're going to see a published paper on the benefits of. So berberine and weight loss, berberine and insulin resistance, berberine and type 2 diabetes, berberine in the gut, it actually improves your gut. Berberine and lipids, improves your lipid panel. Berberine and. It is amazing for lowering your insulin and stabilizing your blood glucose levels. Another reason why you're hungry is you're sending your glucose on this roller coaster up and down and up and down. And many of you are food addicted. You're sugar addicted because remember sugar hits the same part of the brain as cocaine. We can do MRIs, put them side by side. That part of the brain that is lit up in a cocaine addict is lit up in a sugar addict. It gives you that same dopamine rush, that same high, that same drive. So many of you are legit sugar addicted and you're going to need some help. It's not just about willpower. It's not just about abstinence. You're going to need some help. And I did a podcast with Trisha Nelson. You can go back and listen to that one too. She has a whole program, Heal Your Hunger. She was a food addict. So she goes at it from that that mental behavioral way, which you might need. I'm going about it biologically. Let's fix your thyroid. Let's lower your insulin. Let's do some berberine. So berberine comes in and takes those highs and lows and stabilizes them into a nice wave-like pattern. Why do we want to do that? Because when you're in the highs and lows, and I want you to picture a roller coaster, I want you to picture you eating breakfast and then you go up. And in that high that's where you are storing fat, high glucose, high insulin, fat storage. Now, where there's a high, there's an equal and opposite low. So now we drop down. Now we're in the trough. That's when you're hangry. That's when you lose willpower. That's when you lose the ability to say no to your coworker's bowl of Hershey Kisses. That's when that pull to the vending machine or the refrigerator, if you're working from home or you're retired, that low is where you're hangry. So what do you do? You go eat curbs and sugar because it's your body's biological message 
to you to say, get us out of this low. This sucks. Bring us back up to at least baseline. Well, we don't go to baseline. We go overboard. That's where we're eating all kinds of fruit and chocolate and the cookies and the candy. So then we go high again. What are we when we're high? Fat storing. Equal and opposite low. Now we're going down the other side. That's why you have the 2 p.m. cravings. That's why you can't even go from breakfast to lunch without needing something. Those are those roller coaster hills and valleys that we need to stabilize. That's what berberine does. The benefits of berberine are so tremendous. So I mentioned earlier that I reversed insulin-dependent diabetes in a patient. One of my proudest moments. Published paper with a colleague of mine too. Using the low-carbohydrate diet, ketogenic, ketogenic low-carbohydrate diet and berberine. A1C went from a 13.9 to an 8.4 in six weeks. A1C went from a 13.9 to a 5.4 in six months. And you're going to say, well, you said you wanted a 5.2. Yeah, but he was insulin dependent. At the six-week mark, he got to go off the insulin. Because here's the problem with insulin dependent diabetics. If you're one of them, you're literally putting in your body the fat storage hormone. So yeah, again, needed for life, too much is the fat storage hormone. So unless you are an absolute pro, my type 1 diabetics, you guys have become pros, many of you, have become pros at knowing exactly what to eat and exactly how to control your glucose and exactly how to use the lowest amount of insulin possible. And berberine can even help with that too, because type 1 diabetics take berberine. And it lowers the amount of insulin that they need, which then allows their body to tap into its fat stores because when insulin is high, you can't be burning fat at the same time. You can't burn sugar and fat at the same time, folks. It's one or the other. You're either burning the sugar that you're consuming, the sugar that's stored in your fatty liver, even if you have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, you're burning the sugar that's stored in your muscles because you had to eat a bagel before you worked out. Oh, I need my apple or else I get pass out. No, you don't. You need fat and protein because if you fill up your glycogen stores, if you fill up that sugar stores, then all you're doing is burning sugar during your workout and not fat. Tangent, tangent over. Backing up to berberine. Berberine stabilizes you so that your body can tap into your fat stores for fuel. It's one of my favorite supplements. It promotes gut healing too, decreases inflammation, is used as an anti-aging supplement as well. Because what did we talk about earlier? Alzheimer's, type 3 diabetes, cancer, 30% more receptor sites on cancer cells for insulin. When we lower our insulin and use berberine as an anti-aging protocol, regimen, biohack, whatever you want to call it, even if you're not insulin resistant, there are many biohackers that use berberine just for anti-aging purposes. Berberine is amazing. 1,200 milligrams per day. So many of you know, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you, I made a product called Blood Sugar Fixer. I have a full fixer line of supplements. The Blood Sugar Fixer is berberine. It is 600 milligrams per capsule, so you only need two per day. Most berberines are 400 milligrams. You only need two of these because 1,200 milligrams per day is the therapeutic dose necessary to really make an impact on your blood sugar. Now, if you're using it for biohacking because you don't have insulin resistance, you could probably get away with around 600 milligrams per day, but you really want to use 1200 to really have that impact on your insulin and your blood sugar. So blood sugar fixer is specifically for that. 
If you're like, oh my God, I have low testosterone, you were talking about testosterone, then we have the hormone fixer. I mentioned that. We'll put the links in the show notes. So I mentioned that as well. Those might be two that you want to add in. The biggest thing is stabilizing your blood sugar wave-like pattern, lowering your insulin below a six, lower that leptin below a 10, five to 10 is optimal. And then your thyroid works better. We also want to optimize thyroid and insulin at the same time. So if you're with a crap doctor that has you on T4 only, run. If you're with a doctor that won't test all the tests that we always talk about on here, time to get a new doctor. Give me a call. Got you covered. Either way, we have to optimize thyroid and insulin at the same time, both and. Both and. That standard lab value range on any lab, on any lab, is taken from a huge population of sick people. They did not read out the healthy people. So what functional medicine does is says, give me your fit, give me your healthy, give me your optimal, give me your badasses. Now we'll test them and then we'll come up with a lab value range. From that, that is how we came up with, we want your glucose less than 90. We want your A1C between a 4.8 and 5.2. We want your insulin below a six. If any of those markers are off, you're insulin resistant. It can be one, it can just be insulin, or it can be two. Sometimes we see A1C at a 5.6 and insulin at a 15, sometimes not. But insulin is the most important marker to know whether or not you are insulin resistant. Leptin, 80% of doctors, when you ask for a leptin test, again, I think you're talking about leptin iced tea. They're going to look at you like a deer in the headlights and they're going to bullshit excuse as to why they can't test it. But the real reason is they have no idea what the number means. Maybe get a leptin on your own, order it from Alta Labs. Know your leptin too, but most importantly, know your insulin. Get it under control. Use some berberine. Stabilize it. All right, until next time. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you loved it. And as always, if you would be so kind to leave a review if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, that would be absolutely amazing. I read all of them. Also, anything that you hear on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any kind of medical condition. So we always recommend that you check with your medical provider, your doctor, your nurse practitioner before implementing anything that you hear on this podcast. And if you want to find out more about working together, you can click the link below in the show notes to book a discovery call. And there you'll be talking to a member of my team. They are an extension of me. They are amazing. And you and I will talk after that once we get you all signed up and you and I get to work together. All right, I hope to see you soon.